This episode of the ACB Advocacy Update has been made possible in part through the support of ACB of Minnesota. You're listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the ACB Advocacy Update. My name is Clark Rockfall, and I'm the ACB's Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs. I'm one of your hosts. I'm also joined by... Hi, everyone. This is Swatha Ananda Kumar. I am ACB's Advocacy, Advocacy and Outreach Specialist. And thank you to everyone who is listening to this podcast over the ACB Media Network, as well as everyone out there who is downloading and streaming via your favorite podcast player. As always, if you have advocacy issues that you would like to bring to ACB's attention, please email us at advocacy at acb.org. And also, you can find out more information about the advocacy work as well as how to become involved and membership, and even find out more information about great folks like our guests that we have here today by visiting the ACB website at acb.org. All right, Swatha, uh, what do you got going on here today? What are we going to talk about? So we just had our first hybrid conference, convention, conference and convention, and at the convention, we have, we have like three new three new board of direct, board of directors members. Um, so today, so today we're going to introduce introduce them, introduce them, introduce them, introduce them to you all. So here we have Terry Pacheco, Rachel Schroeder, and Gabriel Lopez Cavati. Hi guys, hi, hi. You all. Hello, Swatha. Hi, Clark. All right, great, and thank you all for joining us. Uh, Let's start by just having the folks get to know each of you a little bit better. And uh, I'll start with Terry Pacheco. Terry, why don't you share with us a little bit about your background, you know, who you are, where you're from, uh, how long you've been involved with ACB, and what brought you to ACB in the first place? I have been involved in ACB probably since before you were born. Um, (laughs) It's my first ACB meeting was in 1972. Uh, what brought me to it was I started going out with a guy um, in January of that year. And in February, he said, you want to go to a basic, uh, actually, at that time, it was the Blind Leadership Club of Massachusetts, which was uh, being mentored primarily by MJ Schmidt, Mary Ballard Stevens, and Derwood McDaniel. And I said, sure, but for going out to dinner afterwards, it was pretty nice date. Uh, I knew a few people that were going to be at the meeting. And um, so I went out with him that night. And I will tell you this, uh, before the 25th of this month, we'll be married 49 years. So I guess it was a pretty good start for both our relationship and for ACB. I've served as vice president of both Blind Leadership Club, and later the Bay State Council of the Blind. I worked with Otis Stevens, who was the former president of ACB, uh, in redesigning Blind Leadership Club into Bay State Council. I served as a couple of different positions in that, um, chaired the conventions for both BLC and Bay State Council for about 10 years or more, 
um, in 1990, uh, the president of blind leadership at that time was Charlie Crawford. That's when I first met him. And uh, when he came down here to be executive director at ACB, uh, he knew my experience because I had a lot of other outside experience and asked me if I'd be interested in coming down um, possibly to be the membership and affiliate services coordinator, which was a different position than it is today. Uh, we also did work with the chair of the convention committee in setting up doing all the logistics for the convention. And that, and I did that for seven years. I also worked with all 72 of our affiliates at that time. And um, of course that was before Zoom or anything like that. So we had um, free conference calls and a lot of mm -hmm. emails back and forth and that kind of thing. After that, I um, so I moved down here. My husband and I moved down here in 1999. And I've been here in Maryland ever since. Um, I've served as on the as treasurer of the ACB of Maryland. Uh, I was on their board. I've chaired a few of their conventions. And I've just brought a lot of um, my experience from a lot of other organizations with me at the same time through the years. And advocacy, we did a lot of that up in Massachusetts and uh, some of it down here. Uh, back in back in those days, we I also did all the logistics for the, uh, what we called legislative seminar back then. Mm -hmm. uh, so I did. Uh, I tended to be more the one getting everybody else out to advocate. I think mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, I did do some. I've I've testified both at in um, at Capitol Hill and in Annapolis and in Boston and that kind of thing. And then within the last couple of years, once uh, COVID hit, I started Visibilities, which started out to be for visually impaired seniors um, who have uh, to highlight our abilities. And it's kind of grown from that into most anyone that's got a visual impairment. Sure. Well, thank you, Terry. And I, I like that it's love that brought you to ACV. Uh, that's that's how I'm going to encapsulate it. So, uh, Rachel, on to you. How long have you been involved with ACB and what brought you to ACB in the first place? Not quite as long as Terry, um, but it was a uh, school that brought me to ACB initially. Um, I was uh, I'm originally from Florida and I was in school in Florida and I knew somebody um, who was involved in the Florida Council of the Blind. And, you know, I had always kind of been interested in, you know, advocacy type things and, and, you know, trying to make things better for the blind community. And, and uh, so I asked about it and I, I jumped into a meeting or two. Um, I actually believe I got an FCB award. I have to go back and look. I think I got an FCB award upon graduating high school. Um, took a little bit of a break to go to college, but after college, um, I, I uh, found love elsewhere from, I, from uh, <laughs> FCB and ACB, um, but did come back and joined FCB and um, was involved in that quite a bit um in that time that i was involved in in fcb um is when we really started working big time in 
broadcasting conventions. Mm-hmm. So I broadcast my first ACB convention in 2004 in um, Alabama, uh, Birmingham. That's what it was. And uh, kind of fondly remember running around the convention hall and exhibit hall and, and all that with all kinds of equipment and, and stressing out over how we're going to get all this on the air. But uh, it was still, it was labor of love and it was fun. Um, and uh, I was involved in a lot of FCB committees. Um, in 2007, I unexpectedly found myself doing the strange thing of moving away from Florida and to Illinois because of a job. And uh, I jumped into ICB where um, for the last eight years until this past April, I was president. Um, also held other committee positions and um, also uh, had, meanwhile, continued some broadcasting and also worked on some uh, ACB committees, which I work on today, uh, auction committee and uh, the ACB women and, um, you know, things like that. So I've, I've been involved with ACB for quite a long time and just really happy to be able to um, add my my efforts to advocacy and, you know, to, to introducing people to an organization that I have for several years, you know, found very beneficial. So um, it's been fun and, and I'm appreciative of the opportunity to be able to serve now in a new capacity on the ACB board. Thanks, Rachel. And then turning to, uh, not our last guest, but our other guest, Gabriel Lopez Cafati. Gabe, how long have you been involved with ACB and what got you started? Oh, well, I have been involved with ACB since 2008. And um, uh, I... I was, uh, the the first thing that uh, my first, I would say, uh, door to ACB was uh, through back then B-Flag, today Blind LGBT Pride International, BPI. So I I found BPI and uh, at the beginning I was kind of a quiet, not so visible member in ACB. I was just trying to get to know my way around and 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 meet people um as you uh, may know i am originally from honduras central america born and raised over there um and i was actually in 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 a lot of uh transition processes in my life back in 2008 um i was settling here in the u.s um and then uh in 2011 I got uh, involved with FCB, the Florida Council of the Blind, and I became um, vice president for my local chapter, the Miami Beach Council of the Blind, and then became the board rep for Miami Beach with the Florida Council of the Blind in 2012, attended my first national convention, which I call a life-changing experience. And um, since then, I became involved with the leadership of BPI. My first role was as treasurer of BPI, and um, then I uh, was also awarded um, one of the FCB scholarships, the Teresa Blessing, in 2013. And uh, from there on, it's just been, you know, it's, it's, 
again um the topic of of love comes into play i did not come to acb for love but i brought someone <laughs> to acb because of love um today i am happy to to say that i uh, i love what i do as part of this organization um advocacy obviously uh is very near and dear to my heart when i first moved to the us and i started uh, realizing the differences uh for example in education um where there's a disability service office um in terms of uh, all the efforts that were being made by acb to advocate for accessibility so you know my first point of reflection back in, in those days was uh, you know this this did not happen by magic this 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 was the work of many many people so i started getting involved in advocacy and uh, today i am president of bpi and i'm also involved with the florida council of the blind i'm the chair of the uh, scholarships committee for fcb and um, also belong to some other committees within acb like the international relations committee and um, very recently just uh you know created and started running with the um, hispanic subcommittee of the multicultural affairs committee which is um i'm very excited and as you all know we've been uh, slowly but surely increasing the number or the amount of spanish content within acb and this is where we are today great <laughs> yeah this this made a lot of fun um so you guys touched on your experience in leadership um I'll just go into a little more detail about those about leadership roles in acb or in your affiliate Answering these are with Gabe. Sure. So, um, as far as leadership uh, within uh, locally, uh, I have been. Uh, I went from vice being vice president to president of the Miami Beach Council of the Blind and served two terms, and worked in organizing the chapter. The chapter is one of the one of Florida's youngest chapters, and. Um, Uh, you know, my one of my main focus uh, areas of focus was um, increasing membership and strengthening membership. Um, we also tried to deliver uh, an exciting experience for everyone. So we would, uh, you know, organize social events, uh, tech talks, have speakers from the government or from nonprofits or other organizations that were interest of the, to the community. And um, I served for two terms, I'm still the board representative for um, the Miami Beach chapter with the Florida Council of the Blind. So um, I represent uh, our local chapter in uh, uh, board meetings and also at convention, at the state convention at Florida. And with BPI, um, my first entry to leadership was as treasurer of the organization, uh, worked a lot in convention planning is, has been one of my passions. And uh, as you know, you know, we've been, uh, BPI has always uh, 
put on a lot of events and uh, a lot of education and fun and just creating that open space that has been one of the mottos of my uh, leadership within BPI and now president. I always uh, tell people that um, everyone's welcome in BPI. It's a safe space, no judgment. That has been one of the key aspects that I've been trying to highlight. Um, we've also advocated for um, the specific needs of that intersectionality of those of us who are blind and visually impaired members of the LGBTQ plus community. Um, I enjoy um, my participation through the Florida Council of the Blind as in the DC leadership meetings. Um, going to Capitol Hill is always exciting, whether it be in person or virtually. And um, yeah, most recently as president of BPI, I made sure to strengthen our ally participation and also become um, closer and more, have a more kind of symbiotic relationship with our parent organization. Um, we have a big presence also in ACB media with our show Pride Connection and also with um, some community calls and some other events that we plan not only during convention, but around the year uh, in terms of education and fun. And uh, I guess those are my, my highlights in terms of leadership up to now. Great. Rachel, you want to go next? Yeah, okay. Um, I think uh, for me in leadership, it kind of started gradually. Um, I was involved in Florida Council of the Blind, as I said before, and um, started out um, in what is now, at the time, it wasn't Greater Orlando, but it's Greater Orlando chapter. And um, I was vice president um, and then president for a couple terms. Um, what I found interesting was that uh, the Orlando chapter was so big at that time that it was bigger than my state affiliate was when I was president. So, <laughs> you know, I kind of uh, started off smaller scale, but not completely. Um, one of my highlights of my time as president of the Orlando chapter was um, at the time, it really wasn't heard of as much to be able to work with the NFB affiliate um, for for any kind of advocacy efforts, but we, along with our NFB uh, Orlando affiliate, worked um, tirelessly to keep our talking book library, and um, we didn't always necessarily take the same road to get to uh, a solution and to, to get the word out, but we did work well together, and I was very proud of that, um, you know, because at that time, um, you know, really, it was kind of unheard of, I think, for NFB affiliates and, and uh, FCB affiliates or, or uh, ACB affiliates to work together. But um, I had a really good relationship with the president of the affiliate at that time, um, Sherry Brunn, who is still in Orlando today. And so we really made it work and we actually were able to convince them that we still needed our talking book library. So I was really proud of that. Um, moving on, of course, um, I had a lot of committee involvement and um, excuse the clock in the background there, <laughs> um, but uh, I had a lot of committee involvement and then moved into the roles in ICB um, where I really kind of 
jumped right in at the top. Um, not completely sure how that happened, but fortunately, um, people had enough uh, confidence in me that they felt that I could uh, hold down the, the fort as president and certainly had our challenges Um for various reasons, I held that presidency a little longer than expected. Uh, one of the biggest reasons being COVID, who all would have ever guessed that uh, we would be dealing with two years of COVID that would present so many different challenges to all our affiliates. But, um, you know, so I, I was able to certainly with the help of my members, I always say I'm only as good as the people that I surround myself with um, when I work on on issues and, and that kind of thing. So I certainly have had uh, and been very blessed to have a lot of good members. But, um, you know, we got through some challenging times, some financial situations that were difficult. It was really difficult fundraising and and getting through COVID where we had to be creative and come up with ways to keep our members engaged. And um, that was uh, one of the things that I did is um, instituted kind of a uh, community call for ICB. We called it the ICB Lunch Bunch, you know, where, and Swasa actually joined us one or two times, which I was really happy about. Um, and, uh, you know, we had that where we could keep our members engaged and keep keep in touch with all our members. So, you know, it was just a matter of thinking outside the box and and trying to keep things together. And, and uh, fortunately, um we were able to do that. And, you know, ICB is still here today when there were times when I wasn't sure how we were going to survive different situations that we were dealing with. But uh, so I'm, I'm proud to have gotten through that and um, just proud of, of the work of so many of the people that anytime I said here, can you work on this? You know, I had several people that, that were willing to work with me and, and that was great. Um, and of course, you know, I, I mentioned some committee work on on the ACB level, but uh, again, really happy to to be working on the board now. Yeah, those are those were really fun calls, Rachel. Um, yeah, and I'm really glad you got you keep 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 your talking 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 book library. Um, it's great resource as a, for anyone who's blind or impaired. Um, well, you were an Illinois girl; we had to bring in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah um terry do you want to yeah last but, not least, last, not, last but not least terry um uh, i'm just kind of been running through things in my mind here uh back when i did work at ac the seven years i did work at acb i did a lot of work with our committees and with um uh, getting our affiliates to work with one another and i think that that's um, that's one of the things I'm probably the most proud of, uh, that we got so many to do so much uh, coordination, particularly at convention, but also throughout the year. I wish we had had Zoom back then, because I think we could have done a lot more with membership development. I think we can still do a tremendous amount, thanks to Zoom, with membership development. Um, I've also um, served for a while I was a member of Randolph Shepard Vendors, RSVA, and I served as editor of their vendor scope for a couple of years. Um, I did a lot of work with um, the producer of the film Ray in getting that audio described. Uh, I come from the kind of the cradle of audio description, 
both now and originally in Boston. Uh, I'd like to see, you know, I've always felt that we needed to see more and more uh, audio description. Um, and I'm a life member of the Braille Revival League and the Library Users of America. I also do some work on the fundraising committee for the Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss. And I uh, do um, the Zoom team coordinator for the Council of Citizens with Low Vision. And I've tried to pull some of the, each of those together uh, in doing some cross affiliate uh, events and such, particularly through the community calls. And uh, as I say, I've worked with a number of the committees through the years. Uh, some of them I wish I've done more with, some of them I plan to do more with, uh, but I guess that's kind of where I land. Uh, not sure what else. I'm trying to run th run through things. It oh, just you're, like ACB yeah, you're, has been a part of our lives for so many years. Um, I oh, I do serve on the what is it? The History Archives Committee. At this point, um, I had. Uh, told Dan Spoon, our president, that uh, I kind of gave him a resume of things that I had done and wherever I could be of help, uh, be of help or service. And that's where he put me was on the history committee. So, um, but I do, I've in thoroughly enjoyed working with Next Generation, for instance. I've been doing some work with them. Uh, Amanda Selm has, uh, was actually, she was one of my speakers uh, for the election. Um, and I really want to do get much more involved with them, though I have to confess I am over forty. <laughs> <laughs> and Terry, you make you make a great point that all of you have done so much with uh, affiliates and chapters and leadership positions over the years. What was it that made you want to run for the board? And what are you most excited to do as a new board member for? the American Council of the Blind. And I'll begin with Terry. Hmm. I wanted to run for the board uh, because I saw that there was a, one more seat open on the board than I had expected there would be. And quite honestly, because I've known so many people for so long, I was getting a lot of feedback from people of things that they felt needed to be changed needed, um, they were feeling somewhat disenfranchised and I could relate to what they were talking about. And I felt that we need, as wonderful as community is, for instance, we need to take into consideration and give equal access to those members of ours who are not as tech savvy, for instance, who are not um, and perhaps they're working all day, and so they're not as connected feeling now as they have been in the past. And I really wanted to be a voice for them on the board. Um, and I would also very much like to, as I said, to get involved with a few other things. I think our membership development needs some serious work. I think our advocacy needs some 
I, and this is no reflection on either one of you. I think that it's rather pathetic right now that the two of you are doing all of our advocacy and governmental affairs. Um, back in the day, we had a minimum of four people doing advocacy and governmental affairs on staff. Um, those kinds of, there are just things that I think we, we need to both learn from the past and explore the future. And I think that there's a lot that we can meld together to really improve this organization. Thanks, Terry. And Rachel, uh, what made you run for the board and what are you excited to work on as a new board member? Well, I have to admit um, my wanting to run for the board is something that I had always kind of thought about in the back of my mind. Mm. When the chance arose to be able to do it, it almost passed me by because I was so focused (laughs) on working on things on the state level when I wasn't president of ICB anymore. I'm like, oh, wait, I do have this time now that I can focus on the board. Oh, yeah. You know, I could run for the board now. So it was one of those things that that just kind of almost surprised me again in a way because it's something that I had always thought about, but it was something that I had always thought about further in the future than was actually um, available now. So um, when I kind of came to that realization, it's like, yeah, I can do this. You know, um, I really was excited because we're in a really interesting time now uh, with ACB. We've got so many advocacy projects in the works um, and we're really starting to make inroads on a lot of things that how long have we been talking about uh, accessible voting? How long have we been talking about uh, well, we're still talking about accessible currency and probably will for the next however many years, unfortunately. But, you know, we're talking now about accessible fitness equipment, you know, things that that maybe we hadn't even thought would be as close as they are now. Um, so it's really a kind of a fun time to be working with ACB to to keep working on the advocacy efforts and and really see those come to fruition. But also, I think for me being on the board, um, I've always felt like uh, I've been a good communicator um, and and a good listener. And I would like to be able to take those skills um, that I feel and talents that I feel I can use to to try to work on the board and, 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 you know, be that, you know, part of a link maybe that, that can strengthen relationships, um, you know, and, and maybe uh, work on membership a little bit. I'd like to be able to do that more. Um, We've got community now, which is certainly something we hadn't um, even envisioned until a few years ago. And it'd be really fun to see how we can bring community into the mix more um, and maybe bring some of those people into ACB membership and, um, you know, really, again, just get people excited and interested about what we as longtime ACB members have have known for a long time and how um, beneficial and important ACB is. So I'm, I'm really excited. Thanks, Rachel. And all right, Gabe, you, you talked about your leadership in Miami and the Florida Council, as well as uh, B flag and now Blind Pride International. But what made you want to run for being a member of the ACB Board of Directors? And what are you excited to work on? 
Well, the uh, the idea of being part of the ACB board has been in my mind for, I would say, a couple of years, if not more. Um, I always saw it as, as God, like, am I going to be able to one day be part of the board? Um, I believe in, in representation. Um, you know, I, I believe in democracy um, and I believe in uh, ACB's nature as a uh, grassroots uh, membership-driven organization. So I wanted to be a part of the board because I wanted to embody that representation. I want to make sure that the people that I talk to and the people who I, who I work with and um, the people that I have yet to meet and work for and work with in ACB, I want to make sure that they're all represented and that their voices are all taken into account. Um, diversity is one of my uh, biggest goals, uh, not only personally in my work, uh, but also with ACB. And uh, by diversity, um, I, I don't mean that I wanted to be part of the board or I felt I could be part of the board just because I check a box, but mainly because uh, I think diversity is bringing those unique experiences that I have as a blind gay man and uh, an immigrant. So uh, these unique experiences may be reflected in many others um, who are living out there. And, and I wanted to be that voice. Um, just like Rachel, I've also been um, called by friends and family and uh, colleagues as a good listener. Um, but besides being a good listener, I also feel I bring a level of uh, mediation, I want to say. Um, I, I'm, I'm a peacemaker. I love to bring people to agreement, even within within disagreement. <laughs> but I like uh, consensus and I like uh, negotiation. And I like to f make everyone feel as they're winning something. Um, it, it, it doesn't have to be some situation uh, where, where we have to stop viewing situations as, you know, one group versus the other or one person person versus the other, especially in an organization like ACB. So I, I want to bring that spirit of working together towards a common goal. Um, that is the perfect segue to, to share with you the one of the areas that I do want to work uh, now that I'm part of the board is in making uh, this organization sustainable in um, making sure that we have ACB for centuries to come. And um, also uh, in that regard, working a little bit with uh, succession and preparing future leaders, um, working with uh, the younger generation in terms of uh, leadership training. I'm very excited about the mentorship program and uh, also, I I wanna I wanna increase. I you know now that we started, uh, I, I wanna increase diversity not only within the board but also within the organization. And I wanna uh, I want us to change that that focus from um, you know acceptance 
to embracing. I want us to be an organization that not that is known not for accepting or tolerating diversity, but actually embracing and looking for and fostering diversity. Could I add something in here? Sure. And that is, I, I completely agree with what Gabriel just said, but I think that, the, and I shouldn't say, but I think it's an and, I think that we need to embrace our diversity, but we also need to embrace our unity. And we need to do that. Um, I think that's, I just think that that's incredibly important that we need, you know, we don't need people, one group versus another group. Mm -hmm. Like he said, we need to mediate it. What we are for our, to me, what our real goal is, is, a unity of our diverse backgrounds. So moving on to convention, um, this year, 2022, our first ever hybrid convention and conference. Um, and I just want to get from you all um, a highlight for you. Um, let's start now with Rachel Schroeder. I thought the convention went well. Um, there, the, the broadcaster and me was stressing out for Rick and Larry and everybody because I know what goes into uh, trying to make everything work behind the scenes. And if something didn't work, I'm like, no, but no, I think um, I think it went very well. You know, all the all the technical things aside, you know, which obviously, you know, you're you're going to have some of these in a, an event that is unlike anything anybody's ever tried. You know, we heard that numerous times that people on the technical side thought we were crazy for trying to do this, but we did it and it worked. Um, so I think that was uh, one of the most exciting parts for me is just the inclusiveness of the convention. It didn't matter where you attended or how you attended, you were able to attend. I was um, attending virtually. Unfortunately, this year I had to attend virtually, but I was still able to attend. I attended from home and, and from my office, um, you know, and, and was able to do all that. And the whole process of everybody being able to, for the first time, have a vote, um, which I thought was interesting. Of course, voting accessible voting you know in our communities or you know through acb is is something that is always interesting and important to me as well so i thought that was really great you know that we were able to make that happen that that people for the first time who you know acb conventions were only a a you know, distant thing that maybe they could do at some point uh, if they had the money or if they could manage the transportation and logistically, you know, they were now able to participate and have a voice. And I think that was awesome. Righty. Gabe? Oh, so with convention being hybrid, um, I have to start off by saying I'm, I always say I'm a convention junkie because I love conventions. And uh, to me, it's it's just uh, such a wonderful time of the year. And it's just, I look forward to convention. Of, uh, ever since I went to my first one, the only one that I missed was 2013 because um, I was at guide dog school. Um, so there was that conflict. But um, 
going into a hybrid mode, I was, I was, I was anxious. I was very, very stressed. Um, we, you know, uh, I've been working, I had been working uh, for, for, oh, I think almost six months with um, Janet and um, Dan and Jeff Tom in the uh, special interest affiliate circle. And, and our focus was convention and leading up to this hybrid mode where we were trying to do a little bit of everything for everyone. And um, I know there was a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, criticism. Uh, I see this convention as probably a unique convention because I don't, I don't see this being the norm for convention moving forward. I see this as, as a test Uh, so we tested how would it work to have a pre-virtual only convention. We tested our hybrid, which kudos to our tech team, Rick, Larry, uh, Ryan, and everyone who worked, um, you know, uh, our volunteers on the ground were uh, a great, great help. And uh, in general, the, the, the convention was, was, almost a surprise for everyone whether you had been attending for 20 30 40 years or you, you whether you it was your first convention it, this was a first time so so i learned to relax and i learned to take it you know be you know practice one of my favorite core values which is flexibility and uh, i think it we learned many lessons and i am looking forward to listening what the survey uh, the post-convention survey is going to say i'm eager to um fill it out myself because i think this 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 was one of the conventions where we probably will have learned so much moving forward and 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 of, of course just the the excitement of being in a room where uh we were connected via zoom and there was uh you know people from you know, joining via Zoom from their hotel room upstairs or from the other part of the country or the opposite side of the world. So, so it was exciting. It was, it was just uh, a great sense of, of just unity and a great sense of sharing no matter, you know, we, we, we met the challenge and, and we, we surpassed it, I think. And last but not least, Jerry. I think that it was very exciting. I can't even imagine how much work people like Rick and Deb and Larry and Ryan and so many others put into it. But the thing that I think is the most wonderful part about it is that they were overall successful at it. And that, I think, was incredibly important. Um, yes, we've done a virtual, we've done in person now, we've done virtual and we've done hybrid. I see hybrid as being probably our way of the future. Uh, I think just the numbers alone tell us how many more people were able to attend this convention by doing hybrid than have, than have been at a convention in many, many, many years. Um, I think that Sure, there were some problems. There are always problems. There are problems when we do a, a convention in person. 
uh, you know, there's always room changes or uh, somebody doesn't show up and somebody's trying to find a speaker at the last minute, that kind of thing. We always run into some of those issues. I do think that the convention survey is going to be very important this year. Um, I am looking forward to next Friday, the 12th. I'm going to have uh, Janet and Rick on to talk about the survey um, because it's going to be going up online soon. And I really am encouraging everyone to participate in that survey. I think that's going to be very important. I think we've learned a lot of lessons. I think we'll learn a lot more lessons from the survey. And I think that gives us a great opportunity to take those lessons and implement a good number of them. And that I think is really, really important um, because that's giving us our membership feedback. And as important as our leadership is, we always need to remember that we are a bottom-up organization. We are a grassroots organization and it's our membership that are the, are the ones that we need to listen to the most. And speaking of listening to our, our members and getting convention feedback, Gabe, I didn't make it to one, but what sort of reception did you receive to those BPI wine tastings? You know, Clark, it, it was another first for us because we typically held them at the BPI Hospitality Suite. This time we did them at the at one of the, uh, the convention room uh, spaces. And it was phenomenal. I loved it. Uh, we partnered up with a local um, distributor of wines and we got a very, very nice selection and people enjoyed it. The, uh, you know, I, I enjoyed so much to know that we had hotel staff pouring and that we have the pairings plated by the hotel staff. Um, it, it, was, it was a beautiful experience. We had so much fun. We learned. And uh, as always, you know, there was a lot of great, great feedback. Uh, they were all, both of them were sold out uh, or oversold actually, but uh, th they were great. I, you know, that's, that's one of my favorite parts of the convention. Now, if you can just get the tasting part to work virtually, I'd be much appreciative. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so, and Gabe, uh, other than advocating for, for wine, uh, we heard Rachel talk about accessible voting and Terry talk about advocating for audio description. But what are some, some of the things that you personally or on an individual basis or as part of an, an affiliate um, that you think are or that you have advocated for? Well, I, um, I, I always advocate um, for accessibility um, in terms of web accessibility. I've been act advocating for, um, especially since the pandemic started and uh, we had such a huge uh, uh, transition towards a virtual environment for uh, education, whether it be um, students in post-secondary education uh, having to deal with uh, Blackboard, Canvas, or any other learning uh, learning platform, um, making sure that those are accessible. I've been advocating for that. And also making sure uh, that parents, blind parents of kids who had to be forced into homeschooling had to help their kids connect to a platform and connect to their classroom 
virtually. Um, I also advocated, been advocating for that. Um, as part of BPI, I always advocate for um, non-discrimination and uh, inclusion of the LGBTQ community, um, members who are blind and visually impaired. We've had uh, to advocate in terms of housing and also advocating in terms of employment. And um, the other, my other area, our favorite area of advocacy is also um, travel and especially guide dogs, uh, because there's so much education that needs to be done. There's, you know, we have laws and regulations, so we need advocacy to, to make those laws work and be enforced. Thanks, Gabe. And, and Terry, I'll come to you next. You Again, you mentioned audio description, but I, I'm sure that there are other advocacy issues that you've been personally involved with throughout your time in uh, the ACB National Organization, as well as in Massachusetts and Maryland. I have. Uh, I, one of the thing, areas in which I think we need to do a lot more advocacy is in employment. I think that Accessibility, of course, feeds into that. I think accessibility needs to be looked at both from a uh, low vision and a blindness um, perspectives. I think that there's some pretty major gaps there. Um, I think that there's a lot of advocacy that needs to be done in vocational rehabilitation. Um, I've done somewhere, I've done some uh, advocating on in both of those areas. And speaking of advocacy, I'm going to just jump in here for a second and congratulate you and your team. Uh, I just saw this morning that the Peloton request for waiver from the FCC has been withdrawn. And uh, congratulations on that. Yay. As, as I, <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I, for the last eight years have uh, worked in advoc in uh, access. I am an accessibility and alternate format specialist by profession. And those are obviously areas that are near and dear to my heart as well. But I think there's also, as Gabe mentioned, the guide drugs, the whole problem with the um, uh, airlines, uh, accessibility of the forms, Mm -hmm. for taking a guide dog on a plane, uh, those kinds of things. Those are all areas in which we all need to be working. Sure. So plenty of work to be done. And Rachel, how about you? You mentioned accessible voting and exercise and fitness, but what other advocacy issues have you been involved with? Um, yes. Um, <laughs> you know, as, as uh, Terry and Gabriel were saying, I'm like, yep. Done that. Yep. Done that. Yep. You know, and I think that's one of the things that I'd like to point out too, that a lot of times we think advocacy is this big daunting task that you have to, you know, get a bunch of people involved and, and write letters. And yes, there certainly is some of that. And that certainly has gotten us um, the results we want in a lot of cases, but advocacy can also be just as simple as telling somebody, um, at your child's school, I'm using this as an example of, of a personal example. Okay, uh, your app is not accessible. And, you know, so there's so many things that I think for me, 
advocacy is just a daily thing. And I, I probably am out there advocating a lot of times when I'm not even realizing it, you know, just to even let somebody know that this certain something needs to change or what if we did this or remember you have blind um, people out here that need to access your website or you have, you know, this that needs to be fixed, you know, so advocacy can start with the simplest little phone call or the simplest little piece of information that you give somebody that will maybe start them thinking, oh, I never thought of that, you know, and, and, you know, in the example of um, Delaney School, um, it was not something I'm the first blind parent that they've had to deal with. And so it's not something that they had thought about before. And so now we're trying to work on things to where the app is accessible and, and in cases where it's not accessible or, and that it may not be for a while, they're working with me. So advocacy isn't always necessarily going to be get the end result that you want, but you need to have something that's workable and, and make people aware of the, the issues that are out there. Very good point. Yep, Matt. I think we all get caught up in how big advocacy sounds, but yeah, it's, it's all the little things as well. Um, so, kind of on that note, um, what like is, what issues are important to you personally, or um, your favorite, like near and dear to your hearts that you want like in advocacy issues? You start with Carrie. What issues are important to me? Yes, like personally. As far as advocacy is concerned, you mean, or? Yeah. Mm -hmm. General. And advocacy, one of my most, probably one of my most important, and again, it's kind of what Rachel just said, is because it's a personal, because it's something that affects me and my family personally, is um, pedestrian safety. Uh, When we bought our house, Uh, There's an intersection near us that doesn't have an APS, an accessible pedestrian signal. And I checked to see about getting it done because our county has been doing it. We have over 1,400 accessible pedestrian signals, some of which are in places that no one would ever, ever, ever use. Trust me, I did once. It was 16 lanes of traffic to cross. Um, I would never do that one again in a million years. Um, but what I did was I wrote a letter to each member of our county council and because they told me that it was going to be, we were number 287 on getting an APS at this intersection. And so I wrote to the letter to our county council members. One of them returned a call to me and within three weeks we had an APS. Um, on that intersection, which was very handy because it's the way that we get to the bus stop. I think our public to public access transportation and pedestrian safety are probably one of the high my high one of my highest priorities. Um, I've never been well very very briefly when we lived in one location. Did I ever use paratransit? And neither did my husband. And um, I'm, a, I'm partially sighted and he's totally blind. So we, um, we kind of covered the gambit in our family. Um, I think that that's one area that we absolutely need to work on. I think a new area 
that we're not doing anywhere near very much on is the uh, is special education, particularly for children who are blind or have low vision, but also have other disabilities, especially cognitive disabilities. I think that that's an area that's also as much as our senior population is expanding, so are so many of our future our future potential leaders and our future potential members are people with more and more disabilities as um, the younger generations come forward. And I think we need to be doing more work in that area. Yeah, Rachel, wanna go next? All right. Um, wow, advocacy issues that are important to me. Um, I think one of them we're actually working on here locally. Um, uh, Terry said it also, accessible pedestrian signals. We're in a position um, with some of our traffic signals downtown that they're looking at changing them. Okay, prime time to fix them. So um, a few of us are going to be working locally um, with our city council to say, hey, you don't have an excuse, but you have to, you know, if you're going to change them anyway, let's uh, make them accessible. Um you know, because that's that's one of those issues that, um, you know, if you don't have an easily accessible way to navigate around your city, you know, it just makes it much more difficult. I'm not going to want to walk in the middle of the street with my child if I am not completely certain that the traffic is doing what I think it's supposed to be doing. So, um, you know, certainly that's important to me. Um, accessible voting, I've already mentioned um, accessible web accessibility is something that's always been important as well. Um, in my job, I work with uh, people all the time who need to access websites for jobs. Um, a lot of times I have to show them how to work with a marginally accessible website. Um, so that's, that's always in the forefront of my mind and, and um, you know, to keep um make websites as accessible as possible from the ground up. Um, you know, anything that, that somebody else can do on the web, we shouldn't have to be jumping through hoops to make phone calls and sit on hold forever and wait for customer service reps if it is something that can be made accessible. Um, so there's just a few that I can think of off the top of my head. And finally, Gabe. Thank you. So, I'm going to start with uh, transportation again, because there's so many aspects of transportation that require our advocacy and, uh, and our not giving up, because I know it's, it can be very frustrating. But when I say transportation, I'm talking about our local paratransit services. Um, we're working on that here in Florida. Um, the systems are, are, are very precarious. And uh, we we are working um, in terms of advocacy to make uh, the contractors really provide a a, a service uh, with you know that that allows a certain level of uh, quality. Also, shared rides in terms of guide dogs, um, air travel, in terms of also service animal and making sure that uh, there is a differentiation uh, and, and the burden is not placed on us guide dog handlers when it comes to 
the burden of proof when um, we have all these people traveling with untrained dogs on public transportation uh, or in air travel. Um, moving from transportation, um, definitely web accessibility. I still cannot believe that we have to um, that we have guidelines through WCAG and and they are just uh, a soft approach. They're a suggestion. Um, I, I really think we need to advocate to make this part of federal regulation even beyond the ADA because uh, as we know, it's it's not working. Uh, it's not enforceable and we need to make it uh, an enforceable matter then uh, definitely accessible voting. I'm a person who uh, highly, highly values uh, our vote in, in this country because I come from a country with a, a flawed uh, democratic system. So to me, you know, I, um, <laughs> I think uh, was, I think it's Clark or I, I don't remember. I think it was one of these calls where, where we were, talking about how many um, I voted stickers <laughs> we have and I collect them. And um, finally, uh, when it comes to LGBT topics, I am also looking for more advocacy in terms of recognition and inclusive language and correct pronoun usage. Uh, I know probably this uh, may, some people may not view it as a purely, purely blind or visually impaired advocacy area of advocacy but in a certain way it is uh, because it impacts uh, if it impacts the LGBTQ community at large it impacts even more our members who you know we're blind and you know we need to respect when someone tells us they identify it within a certain pronoun even though they do not sound like we're uh, the, the way we're traditionally used to hearing that someone matching that pronoun sound, uh, you know, it's, 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 we need to advocate for that to be respected as well and to be upheld and to make all of our members feel safe. Great, thanks, Saul. And, and Swatha, I think they answered my next question. So why don't you go ahead with the, the question on ACB's mentoring program? Yeah, awesome, that's great. Um, so ACB, for the first time, is piloting a, piloting a mentorship program. Um, why, in your opinion, why should folks apply and what um, impact do you have on advocacy issues or on um, people's ability to advocate? And Rachel, want to go first? Sure. Um, I think it's really good um, that that ACB is doing this because there is a wealth of knowledge out there um, that uh, all of us could learn from our mentors, um, from people who have been in this organization um, for many years and who have have worked tirelessly and, and had great successes in many areas. Um, so I, I think that's a great, great opportunity, especially with us having a next generation affiliate and a student's affiliate and a lot of younger members um, where they can look to mentors for answers to questions that they might have and get people started early on the issues and advocacy. And, and again, um, as I think uh, Gabriel said at one point somewhere, um, you know, we're just, 
you know, looking at the future and sustainability. And we want to be able to sustain ACB. And, you know, what better way to do that than through our our younger members and imparting the knowledge to younger members so that they can take the ball and run with it. Um, you know, as we all know, all these uh, organizations are typically getting a little bit older. So we need to mentor people and we need to look to those younger members to, to be able to take that and run with it. I'm looking forward to working with the mentor program. It's, it's something that I kind of found on my own. I found people um, who I considered to be mentors. You know, when I came up through leadership, I still call on them today. There were a few calls I made prior to running the, for the board. You know, what do you think? Should I do it? What do, you, what do I need to think about that I'm not? I still call on those mentors today. And I think that relationship is so important. That's great to hear. Um, Terry, you want to follow up? Uh, like, like Rachel, I called a few people who I've kind of considered as mentors um, when I thought about running for the board and said, how crazy am I? Um, but I think one of the things that I think is really important with the mentoring program is that we need to be looking at uh, mentoring people for all levels of late of leadership, uh, whether it's to be the chair of the membership committee in a local chapter or a state affiliate or a special interest affiliate. Um, I think we need, I think some of our best mentors through the years have been people who have kind of worked their way up and learned as they worked their way up through the organization. I don't think that we should be mentoring people to become the next vice president or president of ACB. Um, I think that they, that's where I think we can run into issues of people who really aren't aware of all that they uh, might be if they've worked there, if they've come up through the organization and learned on various levels of leadership. And I think that's important. And I, um, that's kind of my feeling on, on the mentoring program. I think the mentoring program is a great idea. And I think it's uh, got some en enormous potential. But I do think that we, um, I, I, I do hope that the, uh, that the group, does look at it from that perspective. I think we've we've done uh, we've we've had successes and failures in suddenly taking someone who's a Chase Fellow or a DKM first timer and suddenly making them a co-chair of a steering committee type type situation. They're not necessarily some work out fine. Some are not quite necessarily ready for that. Uh, but I think that they could be, given uh, making this a fairly long-term mentoring thing. We've all had mentors, as you know, like Rachel just said, and I did too, that we've had mentors for many, many years. And 
I'm not saying that people need to pay their dues kind of thing. I don't mean it that way, but I do feel that they need to learn all about the organization. If that makes sense. Yep. And last but not least, Gabe. What are your thoughts? Yes. (laughs) Well, I'm very excited with the mentoring program. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm very excited um, and I'm looking forward to working with um, Kenneth and Cheryl. Uh, And um, I view mentorship as, in this case, as more of an exchange. I do believe that our younger generations have a lot to offer and they have a great know-how in certain areas. Um, And uh, they can learn through mentorship the areas in which they are not uh, so experienced or so seasoned yet. So, um, but, but I think both parties benefit because we, if we want a sustainable organization, we need to learn from them. What is it that interests them? What is it that they enjoy doing? Um, You know, social media, for example, is something that we can learn from actually our mentees and mentor them into uh, more leadership skills or leadership oriented skills for them to be able to understand the uh, processes and, and the uh, functioning of an organization that is only growing larger and larger. And that is, uh, becoming more diverse and becoming more global. So I think it's, it's a give and take relationship. I think um, those who really want to grow in their leadership skills uh, should definitely apply. And we have amazing mentors in this organization. Um, I definitely think that it's the, the, uh, the rule for almost all of us. Uh, just like Rachel and Terry said, I myself have my mentors who have been with me and, um, and I am just, you know, thankful for that. And I, and I think we, we need to pass that along and make sure that we keep passing it along for generations to come. And in that vein, uh, just really exciting to hear your perspectives on the the mentorship program. Uh, But we also have members out there that, you know, may not know even where to get started. And we've identified one avenue, which is the mentorship program. But I guess, is there any additional advice that you all have for folks who would like to do more related to advocacy or more related to leadership within the American Council of the Blind? And Terry may start with you. I think one of the things that we need to be doing is that we need to be very, very strongly encouraging our affiliates, both state and special interest, because that's where people learn. That's really where people learn an awful lot of leadership potential, both the good and the bad parts of it. Um, Or, you know, they can they can be exposed to uh, great, some great leadership in those affiliates, whether it's 
a local chapter in a state affiliate or if it's the state affiliate itself or in a special interest affiliate, maybe um, working on their newsletter or uh, on their board of directors, something like that. That's where people can actually find a place. And I think we should be strongly encouraging uh, membership in our affiliates. Right now, I noticed recently, for instance, that if you hit the join ACB button on our website, it's really pushing membership at large and friend of ACB. Um, there's a little, it's not even got a, a heading on it to become an affiliate, uh, uh, to join an affiliate. And that needs to be fixed. We need to, uh, in my view anyway, we need to be pushing, we need to be strengthening our affiliates. We are an organization of affiliates. We are, yes, we have, we should have some members at large for whatever reasons, but you learn and you find your place through an affiliate much more than you do through any other mechanism, I believe, at least for the vast majority of people. Thanks, Terry. Rachel, anything that you'd like to add? I would kind of agree with Terry on that. Um, you know, start advocacy efforts where you live, work, and play. You know, those are the mm. areas close to home. Those are the things that you're going to know well. Um, you know, if if you want to get involved in advocacy, you know, that's, that's a big word with a broad definition. Um, you know, kind of think about what your passion is because you're more likely to advocate on things that you're more passionate about. Um, so find out what your passion is. Think about that. Maybe start locally. If you have a local chapter, great. Um, you know, get involved in that. If you don't, or even if you do, call Clark and Swatha. No. <laughs> um, they're great resources. I, I say that, you know, because they are great resources. Um, we have called them um, many times to consult about, okay, how should we best deal with this issue um, most recently on the voting issue? Um, you know, and I was very happy to have their resources, um, you know, find people um, that advocate on issues that, that you're concerned about and, you know, maybe ask them what they did and ask them what the results were. Um, but I think the biggest thing is don't be afraid to ask the questions. There's, there's a, a ton of resources out here within ACB and, you know, we just have to work together and advocate and, um, you know, don't be afraid to ask for the answers that you don't know. And that's, that's, as Terry said, it's a great way to learn as well. And Gabe, how about you? And any additional words of wisdom you'd like to pass on to ACB's future advocates and future leaders? Sure. Um, you know, it's uh, advocacy uh, can be uh, something very simple. Um, and, and like I think both Rachel and Terry have said it, uh, you know, you can start locally in your communities, um, advocate for, you know, when you see something, call it out. And, and that is advocacy. Uh, you know, educating others is, is advocacy. Um, I also like to encourage people to stay informed of, uh, you know, local, state, uh, 
and obviously federal elections in terms of uh, policies? What, what, what are your candidates or the potential candidates, what are they standing for? Um, keep, con keep their contact information, know who your representatives are and know how to reach out to them uh, outside of you know, the, the leadership week uh, in the spring through ACB. So there's a lot of things that we can do year round to advocate. And, and those are very simple, very personal things. And like Rachel said, um, you know, if you, you cannot advocate for everything, uh, at least, you know, pick the subjects that you feel make a difference in your life and that you're passionate about and you want to see different, not only for yourself, but for others. And um, same goes with uh, adopting new roles within ACB, whether it be locally or uh, at a national level, just look where your interests lie and, and, and find where, where you can better bring your, your talent to the organization. Community is, is a great way to start, you know, um, just start checking the temperature and see how you feel, you know, hosting a community call uh, on, on a subject that you're passionate about and take it from there and see uh, what kind of connections and what kind of networking you, you do from there And then um, you sooner rather than later, you're going to realize that you're already immersed in within the uh, network of, of the organization. And that's great. Swatha, this has been a great conversation. And I've, my two main takeaways, ACB is love and advocate where you live, work and play. Yep, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm glad. Great, this great theme, love and yeah. Um, it's a great number podcast. Um, so Gabe Lopez Cafati, Terry Botego, and Rachel Schroeder, thanks for being here and thanks for sharing your wisdom and telling us about yourselves. Well, thank, thank you, you both for having us on. We've we very much appreciate it and have enjoyed this uh, session with you. Thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely, It's been great. Yes, thanks for having us. Yep, Clark, you want to do honors? Well, we'll close out this podcast by uh, saying the same thing we always do. If there are any advocacy issues that the American Council of the Blind can help you with, please feel free to reach us by emailing advocacy at acb.org. And we'll, we'll do what we do. And we hope that you all will join us in saying, keep advocating. This episode of the ACB Advocacy Update has been made possible in part through the support of ACB of Minnesota. ACBM wants to send along heartfelt greetings to all of its family throughout the ACB community. Having hosted two outstanding and invigorating ACB national conventions, they are committed to expanding opportunity for Americans who are blind and visually impaired. ACBM supports the James R. Olson Memorial Scholarship honoring one of its past members, and they continue to not let life during these challenging times slow down. ACBM invites all to their informative bi-monthly community conference calls, ranging on everything from sports and technology to gardening and loving life in the land of 10,000 lakes. They hold quarterly monthly membership meetings, monthly coffee gatherings, and monthly board meetings. To learn more about ACBM, visit their website at www acbminnesota.org or call 612-223-5543. ACBM, a supporter of the ACB Media Network.